Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn over with me to the wonderful Christmas story uh, that we find in Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read for us verses 1 to 20 today. And uh, my grandfather, uh, Grandpa Olson, he would always read Luke chapter 2 for us at the start of uh, our Christmas morning. Uh, after Grandma's cinnamon rolls, uh, we would read Luke chapter 2, and then we would open gifts. And uh, so this uh, chapter, I have a lot of memories as well as a lot of uh, faith in, in the wonderful words of what it's saying, too. So Luke chapter 2 says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree to be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to a firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were afraid. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign unto you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they went out and spread the word concerning what had been told this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On this Christmas morning, you know, evening morning, uh, I wanted to open uh, by showing a few photos uh, for you. Uh, the first photo here is of some shepherds. These are Bedouin farmers, very poor people, who live in the Judean wilderness in Israel today. And they are doing the same thing the ancients did. They are tending the sheep over the same fields of Bethlehem, and uh, the shepherds there, they're still the outsiders, still the poorest in the land, uh, often looked down upon. They are just lowly shepherds. The second photo is important for reference as we think about this story. For in Bethlehem, there are many limestone caves on the Bethlehem hillsides. And since Bible times, people built their home near a cave so that they had a place for their animals to sleep and take shelter at night. Uh, this has always been the case. And so I show you this picture because this is a Bible time stable. 
A stable was not a barn made of wood, but a cave. So when our scripture tells us that Mary gave birth to Jesus and they wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, a manger was a feeding trough for sheep, cattle, or goats, and it was found in a stable, but not a stable made of wood, but a cave like this near someone's home. This was where Jesus was born and laid to rest his first night in a cave just like this. Next, I want to show you a photo of an old manger. Again, notice that it's not made of wood because wood is very expensive in Israel and hard to come by. But stone is common and it is everywhere. And so Jesus' first bed would have been a stone manger in a cave. The next photo I want to show is of the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem the oldest church in the world. And it isn't that pretty to look at from the outside because it has been through many wars and hands over the centuries. It was first built in the third century over a limestone cave that Christians had been coming to since the days of the disciples to remember the birth of our Savior. This tradition of coming to this particular cave dates back to the disciples, so they are pretty sure this was the place that Jesus was born, in a cave underneath this church that has been built and rebuilt and rebuilt again. When you enter the church, it looks like this. And if you go all the way up to the front of the church and down a dozen stairs behind the altar, you get to the bedrock where they have put a star on the floor marking the spot where the ancient cave was. It's hard to picture what it would have looked like because it's all covered up now. But just a few yards away is an uncovered part of the cave that looks like this. One last photo I thought was interesting. This is the roof of the Church of the Nativity. It's a cross which is a striking reminder for us of what this baby was born to do. He came to save us from our sins by going to the cross for us. Now this morning, I want to look a little deeper at a few key points from our scripture that uh, we think, uh, I think we can think about this Christmas and might speak to us a bit. The first, our chapter opens with the words, In the days of Caesar Augustus. And I love this for a couple reasons. First, because all of us who have been to high school uh, know Caesar Augustus. We've studied Roman history, and he is mentioned. He is not a fictional character, but he was a real guy. It's just like when we studied Egyptian history, Ramses is mentioned. And Babylonian history, Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned. Or when you go to Israel, archaeology has discovered so much about King Herod. These are real guys. <laughs> Herod was ruthless and horrible. His, his tomb right there, just outside of Bethlehem. What I mean is that this chapter in the Bible puts us at a particular time in real history. It says it all happened in the days of Caesar Augustus, which means this is not a fairy tale. For the extra detailed people, Luke even tells us that it was specifically when Quirinius was governor of Syria and Herod, king of Israel. In even more detail, 
he mentions that it was the year that the census took place of the entire Roman world. That happened once a generation, and so we now know what date it was. So this 2,000-year-old document, you see, is telling us exactly when Jesus was born. Luke is giving us a detailed account. He wants us to know what really was, that he's not making this stuff up. The birth of Jesus Christ was an actual event at an actual time in an actual place. This mention of Caesar is also important to me because back then, no one was greater on earth at that time than Caesar. In fact, the Roman people considered him a god, divinely appointed and unstoppable. They even called him Lord. And Rome was his kingdom. And it was a kingdom that had spread over all the earth at that time. It conquered and was powerful and ruled nations. And, and everyone thought that Rome would, was here to stay and would never fall. But it eventually did, as all kingdoms on earth do. They rise and they fall. And Caesar wasn't a god proven by the fact that he eventually died. And eventually Rome fell and the world moved on. But during that time of Caesar Augustus, a child was born who was the Son of God. He was born not in Rome, but in a little town called Bethlehem to a poor couple that no one knew, who had no power, no connections, no privilege, who couldn't even get a room for the night or a bed to lay their child in. They had no choice but to lay their son in a feeding trough in a cave. But get this, 2,000 years later, it would be this child born in a cave and laid in a manger and not Caesar that we all gather to remember and honor and worship. Over a billion people around the world today from every tribe and nation worshiping not Caesar, but Jesus. And his kingdom is still alive and growing day by day. The contrast of Caesar and Jesus for me in this chapter helps me remember who God is and what lasts forever and what doesn't, and what's worth living for and what isn't. The second thing I wanted to draw your attention to in this wonderful Christmas chapter is that Luke tells us that Jesus was laid in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And <clears throat> I've mentioned this to you in previous years, but the Greek word for inn that is used here is literally guest room. It could mean an inn, uh, like a house with a few bedrooms for travelers in it, but most likely it meant just a house where all the guest rooms were already full. Back in Bible times, when a person had kids, and those kids got married and started their own families, most of the time what would happen is that the father would build a room on the house for them to live in. Families lived mostly together. This was the way it was in Bible times. They built onto the family home. Well, it is believed that since Joseph was from Bethlehem, he had extended family that was living there. There were probably a few of his relatives where he could have gone and stayed. 
So most likely what this verse is saying is that everyone gathered in Bethlehem because of the census, which meant a big family reunion for Joseph. But for Mary and Joseph, all the guest rooms were already full with family members. So he and his pregnant wife had to sleep outside in the stable. They didn't make room for Jesus. I believe what we're meant to see in this is a deeper truth. All the gospel writers seem to say that when God sent his son, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The world showed him no favor or welcome. In the Christmas story, not only does no one receive Mary and Joseph in, but we read that King Herod even tried to kill Jesus after hearing from the wise men that he was the one born king of the Jews. Even though the world was made by him, it did not recognize him or embrace him when he came. As Jesus grew up and began to preach, we see this same thing continue to play out. The Pharisees and religious leaders who should have been the first ones to embrace the Messiah, pull out the red carpet for him and follow him, they don't do it. They reject him and they try to crucify him. Everywhere Jesus went, there was no room for Jesus. He was not of this world. The world did not accept him because it didn't know him. At one time, Jesus even told his disciples, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. There seems to be this message throughout the Gospels that even begins right at his birth, that Jesus was rejected. There was no room made for him. But here is what I think is so beautiful in that. Even though no one made room for Jesus, Jesus came to make room for everyone. For what does he say? In John 14, he tells his disciples at the Last Supper that in my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus used the same word, room, that is used in Luke 2, where it says there's no room for him. Jesus is referring to that same guest room idea of how the father would build a room on his house for his kids and their families to come and live. They're welcome to stay with him. Jesus is saying that, that he came to do for us what we could not do for him, to prepare a room in the family of God, to prepare a place for us at the father's house, around the father's table. And Jesus would do all of this by going to the cross and saving us from our sins, that we might forever be welcomed in as a child of God with our Father. He prepares a room for us. So this is the message. The very one the world rejected and made no room for came to make a room for us. This is amazing to me. I think about it and how it is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And, and I think it is just a beautiful picture of God's grace and faithfulness to us that even though we shut the door to him, he opens it to us whenever we knock. And so it makes me love him even more. It makes me want to do the same for others, to love and welcome people that no one else welcomes, to care about people that no one else cares about, to see in others what often others fail to see, to be kind and giving as Jesus has been to me. He made room for me. I'm not alone. I belong 
I have family because of him. The next thing I wanted to point out in Luke 2 is how the angels tell the shepherds, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for born to you this day is a savior. He is Christ the Lord. In this year, I was particularly struck by those two words, to you, born to you. Think about that. This child was born to you. He was born and given to you. Christ came and belongs to you. You know, me and Carrie, we had two kids, have two kids, Aria and Matthew, born uh, to us in 2002 and 2004. Matthew was actually a Christmas baby. He was scheduled to be born on Christmas Day, but Carrie got a C-section a few days earlier, so he came into our lives on December 22nd. We just celebrated his 19th birthday on Friday. Can't even believe that. 19. But we, we named him Matthew because it means gift of God, and his middle name is Christopher, and we chose those two names because he was born so close to Christmas. But Matthew and Arya were born to me and Carrie, given to us. But what this scripture says is that Jesus was not born to Mary and Joseph alone. The angel specifically said to those shepherds, born to you this day. To you. It's a possessive. It means gift. The child was born to and for you. He is the gift that God has given to you. Born to us. He came for us. Why? Well, in Matthew 1, it tells us to save us from our sins. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ is the gift. Isaiah 9.6 says, Unto you a child has been born. To you a son has been given. In 1 John 4.10, it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for your sins. Christ was given to us by God. He is the gift of Christmas. To all who receive him, they have the right to become children of God, saved of their sins, given everlasting life. To us, a child has been born. To us, a son given. To you personally. I tell you this almost every year, but those Bethlehem shepherds were a specific shepherd. Bethlehem is the closest town to Jerusalem, only just a few miles away. And so the shepherds in Bethlehem had a unique job of watching over the temple lambs those shepherds were, are, were still lowly and meek, but they were different in that they had the specific sheep that they were hired to look after that were raised not for food or clothing, but specifically as sacrifice in the temple. And so the shepherds had to be trained because their sheep had to have extra attention because they had to be lambs without blemish to be an acceptable sacrifice. They couldn't have any cuts or scrapes or bruises or broken limbs. And so these shepherds had to be very careful, and they raised these sheep for sacrifice. Well, Jesus would be called the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world. He was born with this purpose, to go to the cross 
for us. He came for us. And so the invitation by the angels to these particular shepherds, I think, has a deeper meaning. They're going to see the Lamb of God. Isaiah 53 says, He would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that would bring us peace would be upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. It goes on to say, For we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. It goes on to say, For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it would be the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, to make his life our guilt offering. But then it says, After the suffering of his soul... He will see the light of life again, and by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many, and I will give him a portion among the great. It's all speaking of Jesus. For unto you a child was born, unto you a son was given, the Lamb of God, who came to take away your sins and mine. He was born to us. And then the last thing I want to mention is how after the angels leave, the shepherds are left there at night now with a choice to be made. The angels tell them that Jesus has been born. They tell them this will be a sign unto you. You'll find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. But I noticed this year that the angel never says, so go and see him. It's the shepherds who look to each other and say, Let's go and see this thing that has happened, which we've heard about. They decide to go and find him themselves. They wanted to see him. Jesus said that if you seek me, you will find me. And the shepherds do. They believe in what they have heard, but they go that next step. They get up and they go and search for the child. It even says they hurried off. They didn't even wait until morning or when somebody was there to look after their sheep. No, they heard the news and immediately went looking for the child. And you might say to yourself, well, of course they did. But I don't think it's an of course. I, I mean, for example, I think about the wise men. They traveled so far in search of Christ. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they went and asked King Herod and the religious leaders and priests, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. It says the people knew the prophecy that this child was to be born in Bethlehem. And so then with this information from the wise men of the star, you would think that all those religious leaders and Pharisees and King Herod would have rushed out the door and traveled just those few miles to get to Bethlehem to see him. And yet none of them go. That's what we read about in, in Matthew chapter 2, that none of the priests and the kings or the officials run to Bethlehem to see if what they had just heard of the Christ was bo the born. None go. Rather, King Herod simply says to the wise men, if you find him, come back and tell me. No one goes 
but those wise men. None of the people in Jerusalem, none of the priests and the kings hurry off and search for the child, even though the signs are all pointing to the fact that he came. Only those wise men and some lowly shepherds make the journey to the manger. But those who seek find, and they go home forever changed. And I thought to myself, maybe it's not that different today. You know, God made and cares about everyone on the planet. <laughs> he sent his son for you to die for you and each person around the world. And only in him can our heart know peace if we just believe in him and take him uh, time to really see him and know him and get into his word and promises and pray to him. In him, we find a love worth finding and a purpose worth living for and a joy that, that doesn't go away and a hope that endures in the midst of all types of sufferings. And, and the Lord is here. He's not far away. He's, he's right where we are. If we would just seek him in the morning and in the night and stop and read his word and drink from the living water, he invites us to come every day and hopes that we will take the time to know him. But do we go? Do we take that time? The hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, says, Where milk souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. In the busyness and burdens of our lives and all the things that we could do, all the parties and activities and games and programs and work still to be done that we fill our lives with. Even at Christmas time, all the activities and gifts and things to, is there any room left to just go and spend a moment around the manger with Jesus? To thank him for the gift of life he's given. To spend some time just with him and getting to know him. The wise men and the shepherds, they took that step and went to go look for him. King Herod and the religious leaders, eh. Are we, eh, with God these days? Or do we seek him out every day? Anxiously looking for him. Wanting to serve and love and be a part of whatever he's a part of. What will you do not to forget Jesus every day of your life? When this season is over, will you still seek him and find him and worship him and love him and serve him and call out to his name and make the most uh, important thing the most important thing? <laughs> For he was born to you and he is here right where you are. He's not too far away if you would just come. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. What a wonderful gift God has given to all of us. Enjoy the day and be thankful and worship and praise him. He loves you. Have a great Christmas. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.